The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Okay, if you have your Bibles, would you open up to Luke chapter 22? I want to finish this series that I started a few weeks on called The Power of Prayer and just analyzing the prayer life of Jesus. The life of Jesus was highlighted by prayer. How many of you understand that? That right throughout the life of Jesus, prayer was the essence of what he did. He prayed at his baptism, and uh, right through his ministry, he was praying. But also what we notice that every time that Jesus prayed, something happened. And so often we don't focus on the what happened when he prayed. So at his baptism, he prayed and the heavens got opened. And, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove and a voice spoke from heaven. He prayed as he started his ministry, 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness. And the Bible says that he came back in the power of the Spirit. He spent all night on a mountain to pray, and God gave him the revelation as to who would be the 12 apostles. Then he modeled prayer to the disciples, and we get the Lord's Prayer out of that, that we're still praying 2,000 years later. And then last week, we saw how he went into the wilderness to pray, and when he came back, the power of the Lord was present to heal people, and everyone got healed. And so there was just something powerful that happened when Jesus prayed. And today what we're going to look at is Jesus praying in the garden, Jesus praying on the cross, and Jesus praying in heaven and the results of those three things. So let's look at Jesus praying in the garden. Luke chapter 22, this is the garden of Gethsemane. The day before, the night before the crucifixion, this is what it says. Verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him and he came to the place he said to them pray that you may not enter into temptation and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed saying father if it is your will take this cup away from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he arose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation." What I want to say to you this morning is that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and the result of him praying was that he received strength to endure temptation and accept the will of God. And twice he said to his disciples, if you want to resist temptation, you need to pray. And through prayer, you're able to resist temptation. I want to talk to you today about temptation and about how temptation hits every single one of us. But I also want to help define what temptation is. And for me, the simple definition of temptation is anything that detracts you from the will of God. See, see, the purpose of God is for you to fulfill His will. Satan's purpose is for you to abdicate and not fulfill 
the will of God. See, temptation is not just doing bad things. So many people think, well, you know, I was tempted to do bad things. But actually, you can be doing good things and still be tempted if doing good is contrary to the will of God. Because sometimes to do the will of God is a very specific thing, and we can be sidetracked. How many of you know that, that Jonah was trying to do a good thing when he was away from the will of God? He thought, oh, I'll go preach somewhere else. But it was actually disobedience to the will of God that was the temptation that he sub, sub, submitted to. And I want to say to you that there are plenty of options available to you. There's option A, option B, option C. And many times option B and option C may seem like good options, but not necessarily the will of God. And your temptation will always be to not do the will of the Lord. What's the purpose of temptation? I believe the purpose of temptation is to distract you from the will of God. I believe the purpose of temptation is to divert you from the will of God. And I believe the purpose of temptation is to cause you to disobey the will of God. My friends, one of the greatest things that we can pray is not my will, but your will be done. That was the prayer of Jesus in the garden. Here he was, tormented with this, and he had the temptation. And, and listen to this. This is the temptation of Jesus. He says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me, this cup of sorrow that he was about to drink. He, he was tempted to, to not drink it, but his whole attitude to the temptation is, but nevertheless, not my will, my flesh, my inner being, everything within me says, I don't want to drink of this cup and I'm being tempted, but, but Lord, my, my ultimate goal, however, is not to do what I want to do, but to do what you want me to do. How powerful is that? How powerful is that for you to come to a place where you've said, I've put aside the good to follow his will. I've put away that which others would want me to do to pursue what God wants me to do. And I really believe that the most powerful thing that every human being can do is to obey the will of God. Can I share with you this morning how to find the will of God? How many of you want to know how to find the will of God? Let me tell you, this, this, this little um, teaching I discovered many, many years ago, and I put it into play constantly in my life. And, and, and I believe that by putting this teaching into play, Anne and I have consistently obeyed the will of God. Why is that? Because number one, the will of God is an attitude. It's not a place. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is not are we in the right place, but do we have the right attitude? Because too often what we, what, what we, what we contemplate is that the will of God is like walking this tightrope. And if you miss it, you fall off the tide and you've missed the will of God because for many people, the will of God is a place. But in actual fact, the will of God is an attitude. And the attitude is not my will, but your will be done. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. It's an attitude. And if we get into a right 
attitude, I want to say to you that that is the number one principle in finding the will of God. Have you submitted to God? Have you opened up your heart to God and said, God, whichever way you want it, I'm willing to do it. Even if it costs me, I'm willing to do it. It's not my will, but your will be done. It's an attitude. Everybody say it's an attitude and a good attitude. So once you get your attitude right, the second question is this. Have you listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit? How many of you know there's so many voices out there? You know, there's so many voices. Everybody, everybody wants to impose their will on your life. It starts with your mother. And then when you get married, it gets, tra- they tag team. <laughs> Seriously, everybody's out, everybody's out. And and there's certain people that come from the land of control and they just want to control. They just love to control. And, and, and And they're looking for people to control and everybody's out to tell you what to do. But you're an adult. And one of the gifts that God gives adults is the gift of free will. And so you've got to understand this that you are responsible. You can't go through life saying, she told me to do it. It's not my fault. Grow up and become responsible. You can't go through life blame shifting. You're 42 now. It's time to grow up. (laughs) One of the signs of maturity is accepting responsibility. Don't be a blame shifter. Don't be a blame shifter. So the voice that you need to hear is not her voice or his voice or, 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 or so-and-so's voice. It's the voice of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you'll hear the voice of the Spirit. And the voice of the Spirit is also different to the voice of the flesh. See, the flesh is a voice that speaks to you, and the flesh will always focus on your rights. And we have a generation that's listening to the voice of the flesh my rights and my demands and what's in it for me. Well, I want to tell you the voice of the Spirit sometimes will cause you to sacrifice for others. And it's not what's in it for you, it's what's in it for others. And this, 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 this whole attitude of, Lord, not my will, but your will be done and I'm willing to do it any way that you want me to do. Have I listened to the voice of what's the Holy Spirit saying to me? What's the Holy Spirit? Am I listening to that, that, that still small voice on the inside, the voice of the Spirit? Because if you are, you'll hear the will of God when you stop and be still and know that He is God and you shut your ears to the roaring shouts of the the. the the manipulators of this world trying to manipulate you into controlling you and just say, Holy Spirit, I submit to you. What do you want to do and say in my life? Then the third question to ask, the first question is, do you have the right attitude, yes or no? If the answer is no, well, get yourself a right attitude before you go to question number two. So question number, have you listened to the voice of the Spirit? If the answer is no, well, stick around at question two until you hear the voice of the Spirit. Then when you say, well, I've heard the voice of the Spirit, then you can go to question three. And question three is, does God's Word agree? Hello? Why is that? Because the voice of the Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. Why? Because they are one. 
The Holy Spirit is God. This is the Word of God. If you're hearing the Word of God, you're hearing the Spirit of God, the Word of God will confirm what you said. So if the Word of God does not confirm what's being said in context, then maybe you're not hearing the Word of the Spirit. Oh, yeah, but my case is different. Every deceived person uses that line. Let me tell you, if you're using that line, I categorically say to you that you've opened yourself up to deception. My case is different. Why is your case different? God is no respecter of person. His word is his word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word lasts forever. So, so if, if you're hearing something that contradicts the word of God, you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. You're hearing from the wrong source, my friend. Okay. So once you say yes, then you can move to question four. If it's no, then go back to maybe one, two, and three. Probably one, do I have the right attitude? It's probably a good one to go to. So number four is this. Do godly people agree? Why is that? Because God surrounds you with godly people. And you say, what's the definition of a godly person? Someone whose life and their message are in agreement. See, a godly person is someone has congruity right through their life. Their whole life is a life that is one with the word and the way that they live, the way they do life. You can, you can spy on them and not find... That, that they're a different person one day to the other. They're the same. They're consistent. They keep doing and saying the same thing, and it's godly, and it's righteous, and it's beautiful, and it's reflective, and everything they touch and everything they do, there's something of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. They're the people that you need to listen to, not 13-year-olds. As much as I love 13-year-olds, they don't have the experience yet. You know, your peers don't have the experience yet. They're learning that. Not to say that they won't gather that experience, but at 13 years of age, they don't know all there is to know yet. So make sure that you surround yourself with godly people, mentors, people that you can go through, people that are role models, people that you look at their lives and you say, my goodness, you've done the journey. You've crossed the miles. Your your life is something that ought to be emulated. And I want to hear what you've got to say and I open myself up please 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 don't go to these people after you've made the decision I don't know how many people uh, you know have come up to me uh, after years of relationships says, oh pastor John, I want to talk to you I've made a decision oh yeah and what's the decision I've decided to do this and that oh no consultation no discussion you know my attitude is well that's the decision you've made that's the decision that you live with I'm not going to argue with them. It's not my, you know, but, but I would have loved to have sat down with them while they're still navigating the decision and give them some wisdom and some perspective. Once people have made up their mind, they've made up their mind. They're just telling you. They're not consulting. They're not asking advice. They're telling. You know what that is? That comes from an unteachable spirit. That's what that comes from. So, oh, John, you're being mean to us today. No, I'm wanting to help you sincerely from my heart. I'm wanting to bless you. I'm wanting to have the best life. And sometimes to give you the best life, I need to give it to you hard, fast, and continuously. Okay. So, okay. 
So if you can say yes to those four questions, I've got a right attitude, I've listened to the voice of the Spirit, I've, God's Word agrees with what I'm hearing, and godly people then agree also. What you've got there is green lights. And so then you can go to number five. Not until then. And number five is this. Make a decision, but not a move. Make a decision. You say, make a decision. Well, why make a decision, not a move? Because by making a decision, you actually leave room for the Holy Spirit's peace to come in or for the Holy Spirit to get agitated. But if you make a decision, you you bypass the peace of God coming into your situation. Because I know this, that when you make a right decision, the Holy Spirit gives you peace. When you make a wrong decision, the Holy Spirit gives you agitation. And so don't be pressurized into making an on-the-spot decision. You've got to make a decision right now. And if you don't, you'll miss the opportunity of a lifetime. How many of you know the opportunity of a lifetime comes around every three days? So don't be sucked in. Don't be sucked into making a spontaneous decision, especially when it involves so much of your life. I mean, if, you, if, you, if your decision is, do I buy white bread or brown bread? Then you don't have to wait three days for that. You can make a decision, right or wrong, God can correct I'm talking about life decisions, not, not, you know, do I wear a black jacket or do I wear a brown jacket? You know, why would you ask God what color clothes to wear? I had a friend, he, 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 said, he said one day, I was just, I wanted to get it right. So I went to God, I says, God, do I wear a black jacket or a brown jacket? And he says, John, it was like I heard the voice of God. And God spoke to me that day and he says, I'm your father, not your mother. (laughs) Ah, glory to God. Yeah, I think you've heard from God. (laughs) Uh, So make a decision, not a move. Does God's peace follow? And then number seven, do you have the right timing? Because I really believe that one of the most important things to get with the the will of God is the timing of God. And uh, a few times in my life, I've heard the word of God, I got the peace, but the timing was wrong. And if the timing is wrong, then the doors don't open. I- I'm a big believer in God opening doors that no man can shut and God shutting doors that no man can open. For me, a shut door is just as much an indication of the will of God as an open door. You know, matter of fact, I honestly believe that a shut door is much more an indicator to the will of God than an open door. You say, why is that? Because let me tell you, I've been in situations where I've had five open doors in front of me. Now, that's confusing when you've got five open doors. Which is the right door to go through? Well, and that's where you've got to pray. Lord, I've got, five, I've got five options here. Which is the right one? They're all open doors. But let me tell you, when a door shuts, 
The devil can't shut that door on you. Only God can shut that door on you. And when that door shuts, then sit back, relax, because just as that door shut, God's going to open another one for you. Too many people get agitated with shut doors. I get excited. I do my little dance. Oh, God, you shut a door on me. That's awesome. You're speaking. You're guiding because only you can shut a door on me if your will is involved in it. Because if you're not in it, nobody can shut a door on me. Only you can shut doors. What a wonderful thing it is to live in that. Can I, just so important for you to get hold of that. Can I just get you back to point number one again? Because I really believe that is the bottom line in finding the will of God is just to get your attitude right, just to get your spirit right, just to come into a place where you begin to say what Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Because too often we can look at life and try to analyze it all and try to work out our happiness in life. The pursuit of happiness is my goal in life. Wrong, wrong. But surely the pursuit of happiness is my goal in life. Wrong. You don't know what true happiness is. You think you do. You hope you do. But how many of you have ever thought, if only I get that, then I'll be truly happy. I wonder how many people have thought, if only I can get married, then I'll be truly happy. Why are you laughing? Isn't it true? I've discovered it to be true. With a proviso, as long as I work hard at it, as long as I work really, really hard at it. And now after 31 years, I don't have to work as hard because I've put all the hard yards in. Now Anne has to work really hard. It's her turn. (laughs) Ah, glory to God. Okay, pay attention. You're distracting me. The key to overcoming temptation is prayer. That's what Jesus said. Pray that you might not enter into temptation. Friends, the key to not being deceived is prayer and praying with this right attitude. Falling on your knees before God on a regular basis and say, God, the heart is deceptive. And so I submit my will to you. Not my will, but your will be done. I just pray, Lord, that you'll just... clarify my thinking, clarify my heart, clarify, because I do not want to make life decisions that I am not 100% sure is your will for my life. Because if you can do that, then you won't fall into temptation and you're able to move into what God has got for you. Let me share with you the second place that Jesus prayed after the garden, and that was on the cross. He prayed in the garden Then he prayed on the cross. In John 19, 30, he states these words on the cross. Just very powerful words in John 19, 30, where he says, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus spoke seven words from the cross. Four directed to God and three directed to people. The four directed to God was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished. And then afterwards, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The three directed to people was, he turned to the thief on the cross and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
then he looks to Mary and John the Beloved and he goes, behold your son, behold your mother. And then he looks to the soldiers and says, I thirst. But I want to focus this morning on the prayer that he prayed, it is finished. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It is finished. The result is this. He prayed to receive strength to finish the course that was laid in front of him. See, anybody can start something, but not everybody can finish what they started. But Jesus received strength to finish what he had started. See, I want to say to you that, that there is a race that is set before you. And this race, God wants you to finish this race. And it's a wonderful race. There's purpose in the race. But anybody can start it. But how many people get to finish it? I love what the Apostle Paul said of himself in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I love this. For me, I'd love this on my epitaph because it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there he understood the purpose for his life, the purpose why he was born again. Can I just say to you that you don't even start your race until you're born again. See, until you're born again, you're just wandering around through this world, aimlessly trying to find the door. You're looking for the door. You haven't even started the journey yet. You're looking for the door. And everybody's telling you, fulfillment in life is this. Fulfillment in life is that. The biggest message we get is fulfillment in life is money. Or fulfillment in life is getting married. Fulfillment in life is having kids. Fulfillment in life. I'm telling you today, fulfillment in life is relationship with Jesus Christ. To discover Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the door. That is the beginning of life. That's the beginning of wisdom. And so glory to God for those that finally find the door out of darkness into light. And Jesus is that door from darkness into light. And you open the door and you step into the, the new way of living. I can see. Once I was blind, now I can see. I can see the purpose. I can see. I was a sinner. I was lost. I was going to hell. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am cleansed. I'm washed. I'm a child of God. Eternity is written for me. For this cause I was born to have fellowship with the Father forever and ever. Oh, can anybody get excited about that? And then your journey starts with God. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And you begin to listen. And you begin to pray. And God gives you a revelation about what your life is all about. And one of the greatest revelations that God gives you is this, is that you were born not just so that you could be blessed, but you were born so you could be a blessing. See, one of the greatest revelations that any Christian can get is the revelation it's not just about me. See, too, too, too many Christians get stuck right in that convert stage. They just get stuck with, with what's in it for me. Oh, God, bless me, prosper me. Just do, do, do all you can for me, me, me. And so, so churches that preach me messages, me, 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 they're packed because people love to hear a me message. 
How can God bless me? How can God touch me? How can God prosper me? Me, 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 me. It's all about me. I want to be, and that's fine when you're a baby Christian. And that's fine when you're looking for milk. But a day's got to come where you grow beyond that. The day's got to come when you go from being a new convert to start being a mature Christian. You cross over another line. And what's that line? The line is, Lord, you've blessed me. Now help me be a blessing to others. That's the sign of maturity. Not, oh, 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 how deep can I understand the Bible? Oh, let me find it in the Greek. Let me find all the types of the Bible. What is that? That's just head knowledge that does nothing for anybody. But when you start crossing the line and you start saying, oh, God, I thank you that you've blessed me. Now let me be a blessing to others. Lord, I thank you that you've healed me. Now, Lord, I pray that you will cause healing to flow out of my life to others. Lord, I thank you that you saved me. Now let salvation flow from me to others. God, I thank you that you delivered me. Now let deliverance flow out of me to others. And we stop praying, God, just do the work in me to God, do the work through me. Then you're on a different walk, my friend. You're on a different level altogether. And that's the place that I want to see you go to. Because when you're able to be there and, and your life is not measured by how many things you've gained, but by how many people you've blessed. And you look at your life and you begin to see, all the people that I've blessed. Because the day will come where God says, well, this is the end of your life here. And your last breath on earth will be your first revelation of heaven. And God will say, well, that's it. That's done. That, that stage of your life is finished. And now here it is. Eternity. See, Jesus prayed that he might finish that course, that race. And I'm praying, Lord, would you help me finish my course? Would you help me, Lord? I'm not done yet. I've still got a lot of years ahead of me. But I'm praying, Lord, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. Do you know that 50% of pastors fail after 10 years of ministry? 50% fail. They're gone. It's all over. 50. We are in Australia right now, we have 14,000 people who were once in ministry, no longer in ministry. 14,000. That's John Mark Ministries did the calculations. 14,000. My prayer for you is that you won't be one of these people that started, only got halfway and then failed. My prayer for you is that you finish the race. My prayer for you is that even if you started, you failed. That you pick yourself up and say, it's not over yet. It's not the end yet. While there's still breath in my lungs, it's not over yet. The race isn't over. I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to shake myself off. I'm going to say, God, forgive me, but give me a fresh vision. Give me a fresh direction. Give me a fresh anointing. Something will begin to happen. The Holy Spirit will begin to stir inside of you. And God's voice will speak into your spirit these words. It's not over yet. I haven't finished with you yet. The last chapter has not yet been written. Rise up, mighty men of God. Rise up, mighty women of God. Don't fall by the wayside and allow the tempter to distract you from accomplishing the will of God. It's not too late. 
to rise up and fulfill the God-ordained plan for your life. Let me finish with the third place that Jesus prayed. I'm going to finish very quickly. He prayed in the garden. He prayed on the cross. And now he's praying in heaven. (laughs) Right now, he's praying in heaven. For 2,000 years, he's been praying in heaven. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus prayed for you while you were still a sinner. Jesus prayed for you while you were away from God. And he prayed that you might get saved. And that prayer was answered in your life. How many of you are excited about that, that that prayer was answered in your life? But you know what the point is for me? The point is, Lord Jesus, if you love people enough to pray for them for their salvation, help me to love people enough to pray for their salvation as well. Help me, Lord. You're... If, if your job is done, you died on the cross, but now you've gone to heaven to intercede, intercede for the souls of men and women. And I really believe this, that Jesus promised that he'd come back, but he's actually holding, holding back. Why is he holding back? That none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so I want to join with Jesus in these days and be praying for the loved ones, for people that you know, people that you don't know. And you say, how am I supposed to pray? Let me tell you how to pray. I want you to pray for God to open their eyes that they might see the gospel. Lord, open their ears that they might hear the gospel. Lord, open their minds that they might understand the gospel. Lord, open their hearts that they might receive the gospel. Even if you just break it down to three, ears, mind, and heart. Just begin to pray. Ears, mind, and heart. Lord, open their ears that they might hear the gospel. How many of you know that the enemy wants to block people's ears? They don't even get to hear the gospel. It just goes straight over the top. Ears to hear the mind to understand what an incredible thing it is when we understand it's like the lights come on I can understand and then a heart to receive the gospel how many of you got friends and neighbors that are not saved yet give me a wave do you reckon we can pray for them do you reckon we can join Jesus in heaven and pray for them come on let's all stand together let's all stand together Lord, this morning, we stand in your presence and we pray for loved ones. Come on, just name some loved ones, some people on your hearts, friends, neighbors, relatives. Just name them, name them, call them by name. Lord, we just pray for these people, Lord, that have been called by name. And Lord, our prayer for them is this, that you will open their ears so that they can hear the gospel. Lord, I just rebuke every plan of the enemy to stop the gospel penetrating. Lord, I just pray that you will open their ears that they might hear the gospel. 
Lord, and I pray for their minds, that you would open their minds, that they might understand what they're hearing. Help them understand the gospel. And Lord, and I pray that you'll open their hearts, that they might receive the gospel. Receive, 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 receive the gospel, that right throughout our church we might see multitudes of friends and relatives and neighbors come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we call upon you. Lord, let there be a move of God in this church like we've never seen before. Lord, let there be a move of God, salvations like we've never seen before. Open the floodgates of heaven, Lord. Open the floodgates of heaven. I prophesy it into the atmosphere of this church. They're coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west. They're coming to give their lives to Jesus, to be transformed and become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I prophesy it into this church in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, come on, let's give the Lord a great big hand of praise. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Center Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 